Let Me Tell You a Story, podcast number six. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. Never mind it is a how long You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with hosts Steve and Becky Lyle. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. This podcast will be similar to our previous one because we'll again be reading a variety of works from Idaho authors. I'd like to begin with the first chapter of Hilary Johnson's second book, The Heart of Petra. Who ever heard of an insomniac with a pajama fetish? I swipe my hand down the leg of my lime green cotton PJs, but it doesn't help steady it, and I still need two tries to adjust the telescope. With a deep breath and a double check at the lock of my bedroom door, I'm able to slow the skipping in my ribs. It's amazing how blood and heart vessels work together, pumping day and night, even while people sleep. Well, while most people sleep. An insomniac doesn't have the pleasure of dreaming during the 720 minutes our sun shines on the other side of the world. I twist the focus around my telescope clockwise, a bit too far, back just a hair. Perfect. Returning to my love of pajamas, seven sets of long-sleeve, long-pant outfits weighed in my bottom drawer in two neat piles. One drawer up contains nine matching short sets, twelve nightgowns, and one baby doll nightgown my parents don't know I own. Shouldn't the comfy fabric and freeing cut of night clothes start to filter into all day wear? Maybe this is where my obsession began. The cotton Polyester and spandex blends create some of the most luxurious sensations. I wish I had never had to change into the heavy fabric we usually use to make my clothes. I don't mean people ought to walk around outside in their lounge pants with slipshod manners as though they don't respect the society around them. But if someone could invent a style that felt like pajamas, I'd order from that catalog. Now that my space probe is set, I can stretch out and wait for the Earth's rotation to progress and pretend I didn't get my sister's email. Pretend Ava didn't leave us. One o'clock in the morning is when it usually gets good. Until then, celestial bodies will ballet across the chasm of oxygenless dark, the place where God has gone to prepare a palace of many rooms. Of course, that isn't where I look. Neither do I strain to see down in the city, praying in vain for a glimpse of the sister who wouldn't listen. I haven't done that for years. Until tonight. Ava wanted to tell me why she left and why it's been so long since I've seen her. She wants to know if I feel the same as she did when she lived at home. Even in the semi-dark, I'm distracted by the bumblebee yellow paper, the YWAM Discipleship Training School application sticking out from under my Bible. The black letters, Youth with a Mission, buzz in my brain as I read. I finger-trace the script of my full name, Leah Patrice Petra Jones. I don't feel the same as Ava, at least not enough to defy Mom and Dad, to leave my family. I lift the paper and take time to match the corners, creasing the center. It isn't exactly disobedience that I kept the filled-out form after my parents said no. I filled it out months before, mentioning the idea, and it would be wasteful to throw it away now. It could be used for scratch paper or something. 
Oh God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your provision. Please put a hedge. My mind and eyes wander to the ambient glare of downtown Reno lights, diminishing the glow of stars. Up here on a hill overlooking the city, it's like I have sky above and sky below. I'm trapped, suspended in stasis. After I finish creasing the YWAM application, I start to tear the paper. Three centimeters into the act, there is the heat of regret deep down in my core. I slide the paper into my purse. Maybe I'll get the impulse to toss it some time away from home, and I won't be able to retrieve it like when I'm here. I'm ready for an adventure, God. Whatever you need to do with me, whatever you want from me. My words flit off into the void as I'm distracted. That always seems to happen when I pray. It's weird to be so tired and yet unable to succumb to such a simple, natural function as sleep. How can I still be before you? How can I be still before you, God, when my mind races like this? Doesn't Psalms say he grants sleep to those he loves? The thought makes me gulp. When I can no longer hold it in, air strains for release against my teeth. The sound of a sigh crescendos like a sonnet in my lonely bedroom. Never mind, it is enough that I have eternity ahead. I've probably misunderstood the meaning of that verse. Dad is adamant about not taking verses out of context. A knock at my door. I scramble to open it before I'm asked why it's locked. Leah? Yes, ma'am. You can say yes, ma'am, too. She takes a deep breath. You're up late. I'm sorry. I didn't mean. She leans in to kiss my cheek. The smell of her oil of Olay night cream reaches me before she does. You sleep with your blinds open? I don't look at her, but try to answer offhand, arbitrarily. Yeah, I'm a little warm. I was just about to open the window a crack. You know Dad doesn't want your window open at night. I thought that was only because I used to sleep on the first floor. Second story now. Won't it be fine a crack? I cover the tension in my forehead by lifting my eyebrows. Just a breath of wind off these Sierras. It's January and I still it still doesn't feel like winter. Okay, Mom's nose wrinkles up for a moment. She looks so pretty. Maybe I should borrow her night cream. Just to show her how little the windows window needs to be cracked, I walk over and lift it less than an inch before closing the blinds with a flare. Good night. She starts to turn. Are you coming to first service? The question comes like a belated thought, but I'm sure it's what brought her up here. I'd rather not, Mom. Sitting through Pastor Thompson's sermon twice is not the problem. It's doubling up to 30 minutes of boring singing where I have to stifle a hundred yawns. Dad, Dad loves having your voice with ours on the worship team. I hesitate, still living in stasis. But beyond that, Mom's eyes smile, although her mouth stays still. Actually, Pastor Thompson will be out of town, and Dad is very excited for the substitute to meet our whole family. All right, definitely why she came up so late. So we finally get to meet the visitor Dad's been spending so much time with. I better get to sleep then. Yes, get your beauty sleep, Leah. I have. I need beauty sleep? No, darling, you don't need any more beauty, and that's the truth. She leaves while my cheek still tingles from her second kiss. Truth? I relock the door and angle my telescope uphill, parallel to the ground behind her house. Like Jacob's wife, weary Leah, the unloved. Wouldn't a beauty have a husband by now? My mom and sister are beauties. They both had husbands and kids by my age. Ava Nicole was the prettiest one of us all, but Dad said it was her lust for the world which made her run away and bow down to an institute of humanism. Truth. The day the man I loved married a stripper, I knew everything my parents had ever told me was a lie. 
from Hillary Johnson's book, The Heart of Petra. I'm going to read from Becky's. By the way, Becky Lyles is a.k.a. Rebecca Carey Lyles, one and the same, who wrote On a Wing and a Prayer, Stories from Freedom Fellowship. That is a prison ministry. This is Chapter 17, called Free on the Inside, about Joseph, an inmate. My first encounter with God occurred when I was 15 years old and on the run from a juvenile institution. My girlfriend, Carrie, and I were staying with my cousin in Portland, Oregon. One Sunday, his wife asked us to go to church with her at the Church of the Living Water. All I had in my pocket that morning was 20 cents, but I put it in the offering plate. After the service, Carrie and I decided to walk home. Two or three blocks from the church, we heard a voice say, Young man, we turned around. There stood an elderly couple. Young man, the old man said, holding out a $20 bill. God told me to give this to you. I refused it three or four times. Finally, I took the money. Immediately after we gave our last 20 cents to God, he gave it back to us a hundredfold. That experience made an impression, although I still didn't include God in my life. I had another encounter with God when I was 19 years old. Carrie and I were driving across Texas with our toddler son and our baby daughter. Things weren't going too good for us. I had just met my birth mom for the first time. Carrie and I had had an argument that ended in violence, and we had no money. On top of all that, at 2 o'clock in the morning, in the middle of the Texas panhandle, our car broke down. I jerked open the car door, jumped out, and yelled at the sky, God, why? Why? I was extremely angry, but I also had tears in my eyes. As I stared into the night, I saw headlights coming from the opposite direction. The car passed us, then turned around and drove toward us. I figured it was a patrolman, but when the car pulled up, an elderly Hispanic man got out. How are you doing? he asked. I explained our situation to him. He said, get your wife and children and come with me. He took us to a little church in a nearby small town. I go to church here, he told us leading us to a room in the basement containing three beds and a crib. That night, we each slept in a bed of our own and had a good rest. Early the next morning, the man returned with his wife. Let's go take a look at your car, he said, as we got into his vehicle. I know what's wrong with it, I said. My alternator is out. He immediately hit the brake pedal, turned a corner, and stopped in front of an old shed. We stepped inside. There on a dusty shelf sat an alternator. Will this one fit? He asked. I told him I thought it would, and we drove out to my car to install it. Meanwhile, Carrie and the kids were shopping with the man's wife and another woman. They bought groceries and diapers for us. As we drove away, those kind people called, We love you. Be careful. God bless you. Here I was, yelling at God, angry at him for the way I had caused problems in my life and everyone's lives around me. Yet he still took care of me. Despite God's love and provision, I continued to ignore him. Eventually, I lost my wife and my family. I also ended up in prison with theft and assault convictions due to alcohol and drug abuse. One day, while I was sitting in the prison chow hall looking at the men around me, their faces all went blank. That caught my attention, to say the least. I hurried back to my cell, 
to look at my reflection in the mirror and was shocked to see that I had the same blank look on my own face. It was like I was dead, like we were all dead. I fell to my knees, begging God to make me a better man. God, I said, show me what I'm supposed to do here. I grabbed the Bible off my bookshelf and opened it, landing on John uh, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. As I got up off my knees, I was sobbing. I remember hearing a guy a couple of cells down the row ask, What's the matter? I didn't ask. Uh, I didn't answer him. I'd never read that Bible before. It was only there for looks, just another book on my shelf. I believe God reached down to let me know I was his, to let me know he cared. He hadn't abandoned me, but had allowed me to go astray in my life to learn I have nothing without him. After the chow hall experience, my life began to change. I dealt with people and with my emotions differently. I no longer tried to fit into the prison environment. I went to church and read my Bible. When Christians talked about the things of God, it made sense. I started going to all the prison services, not just one every couple of months. One day, a volunteer named Jim came to one of the prison Bible studies. Afterwards, the two of us went into a private room where I told him my story about the blank faces. He said, Sounds like Christ revealed himself to you. It's time to put up or shut up. Would you help me? I asked. I had heard about accepting Jesus, but I didn't know how to do it. As we prayed together, I asked Christ to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. At that moment, I was cleansed and the void in my life was filled. There were times in my past when I had lots of money and plenty of alcohol, drugs, and women, but I was still empty. With God in my life, I wasn't empty anymore, even though I had very few material possessions. As my prison sentence drew to a close, I realized I didn't have a place to go when I was released. I prayed about my situation for several months. Although I had no friends or relatives in Fort Collins, God said, Joseph, go to Fort Collins when you get out of prison. I asked for a reason, but did not get an immediate answer. Then, not long before my release, Freedom Fellowship showed up at a Sunday service. After the service, I spoke with the volunteers. I enjoy the service, I told them, and would like to know where you attend church. I need a good church to go to when I get out. I need fellowship and reinforcement in my life. They gave me the phone numbers for Freedom Fellowship and Northgate Church on the Rock in Fort Collins. A couple days later, the reintegration specialist at the prison said to me, Joseph, I couldn't find you a place to stay in Denver. That's where I'm from. But there's a place in Fort Collins where we can get you a room for one week. It was like God telling me, yes, Joe, this really is where you, where you are supposed to go. Two weeks later, I walked from the hotel in Fort Collins over to Northgate Church on the Rock and introduced myself to Pastor Dave. We talked for quite a while. He asked me some serious questions about my, my relationship with God. I answered them to the best of my ability. I also called the Freedom Fellowship phone number and ended up being surrounded by a whole group of people who love me and who forget my past and who let me go forward. They are always supportive. If I have questions or need understanding or wisdom, I can go to Donna or Pastor Dave. If I need someone to listen to me ramble, I can call Jenny. If I want fellowship or encouragement, I can go to a Freedom Fellowship Bible study. 
Well, the Freedom Fellowship, God is first and foremost. Their sole purpose, their mission is to teach people that God loves them. That was apparent to me from the moment I walked into my first Freedom Fellowship service. I'm incarcerated at Larimer County Detention Center at the moment because I got upset about a situation with my kids, started drinking, and was eventually arrested for driving drunk. When I went to court, Donna was there. She said, I'm waiting to see another person who was supposed to go to court today, but I checked the docket, and they're not even on the list. Then she added, You know, Joseph, I'm here for a reason. God is going to give you another chance. I said, Yes, ma'am, I believe that. I could have gone back to prison or been put on parole, but I was sent to LCDC. God wanted me to wake up and realize I need him. I can't put anybody else first, myself, my parents, or my children. God used the government to incarcerate me for a little while to get my head straight. The day I get out of LCDC, I'll be knocking at Northgate Church on the Rock and Freedom Fellowship's support group. I need Christian fellowship not people talking about drugs, booze, and illicit sex. I need God, Christian love, positive things, fun without drugs. I want to get up early to see the sunrise. I want to take my grandson to the park to feed the ducks. I view life differently now. I'm not the man I was, nor will I ever go back that way again. I'm not perfect. I still make mistakes, get angry, have wrong emotions. But instead of dealing with things the way I used to, I go to God. He helps me understand situations before I act on them. When I open the Word of God, it's not just writing on a page. It's His Word teaching me how to live. The more I put His words into my heart, and the more His teaching is impressed into my mind, the less likely I am to repeat my mistakes. Put up or shut up keeps ringing in my ears. Things I did in my past have affected my children my parents, and my peers. I want my words to benefit my children and my actions to say that God is real. He changes lives. He takes the detestable and makes it acceptable. I know God loves me. I know I'm forgiven. The truth I have in my life will not alter, will never change. The only mistake I can make now is to not rely on God. I'm incarcerated because I tried to do it my way without asking God for counsel. My priorities are different than they used to be. The books I read, the television programs I watch, and the music I listen to are all different. Sometimes, when I'm watching TV with a group of men, I had to get up and leave because I know what I'm viewing is wrong. Before, I would have just sat there. My life is totally different. The other inmates respect that. There was a time in my life when they would have respected me or else. But now they respect me for who I am and what I believe in. I don't hide my beliefs, but I don't beat people over the head with my Bible either. Guys often come up and ask me questions about Scripture. That makes me feel good. When the men in here complain, I tell them there are people on the outside who are deaf, dumb, blind, or starving. We even have carpet on the floor. I see blessings where I used to see um, oppression by the establishment The establishment didn't put me here. I put me here. But I'm free on the inside. I have clothing, food, friendship, and fellowship. There are more opportunities to be blessed in this jail than I ever experienced on the streets. I'm alive and healthy and growing stronger every day. God is good. 
When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is put on my socks, brush my teeth, and grab my daily bread. I read it and pray before I do anything else. A couple of mornings, I didn't have my time with God. Those days were the pits. Everything that could possibly go wrong or irritate me did just that. I said, please, God, I'm about to snap. Would you help me? Then the thought came to me, pray when you get up. That's what I do now, even if I only have five or ten minutes. No matter what happens, I can deal with the situation. Sometimes I just pray, Lord, thank you that I'm alive. Please help me not to be a knucklehead today. The Encouragement Freedom Fellowship volunteers give me has helped me go through with some of the things God wants me to do. He's changing my life and allowing me to lead others to him. There's a double portion of the spirit behind bars. More and more people are finding God in prison. I believe with all my heart that thousands, maybe millions, of once incarcerated people will walk the streets of heaven someday. I'll be one of them. Just a side note about um, the writing of, of, of on a wing and a prayer, uh, talking with inmates in jail and prison about how God changed their lives was truly one of the greatest privileges of my life. God is alive and well behind prison walls and razor wire topped fences. Now um, to read from another Idaho author, this one um, a little different than what we've read before. Lisa Buffalo has written several books, um, but this one is a devotional collection titled Living Joyfully Free. They're short, so I'm going to read two of her uh, devotionals um, that are right at the beginning of the book. Where is the abundant life God promised in the midst of illness, suffering, or catastrophe? To be honest, it's often hard to find. Sometimes life just stinks. Life is hard and difficult. People do and say terrible things. You just have to go with the flow. Admit the truth. The waters get deep, the fires get hot, but God never leaves our side. The more trials I have endured, the more I have experienced God's unending faithfulness and love. And I didn't read that right. The more trials I have endured, the more I've experienced God's unending faithfulness and love. With each hurdle crossed, each skirmish survived, comes strength, fulfillment, and joy. God calls to each of our hearts to not only have eternal life, but live victorious lives. Living joyfully free in Christ is similar to falling back into someone's arms, releasing our worries, problems, concerns, and fears to the capable, mighty hands of God. When our son was beginning to walk, he would latch onto something for support. If he held onto the coffee table, he stood on his feet and walked. If he held our hands, he walked. As long as something was connected to his hand, he believed he could walk, and he did. Finally, growing in confidence, he placed one hand on his shirt. Uh, he placed one hand on his shirt and gripped it like crazy, and then walked across the room. If he took his hand off his shirt, he crashed to the floor. Hand on shirt, he walked. He trusted and had confidence in his belief that what he held would give him support. His shirt was not his true source of support, and once he knew his legs would hold him up and he could walk on his own, he ran free. What we know, believe, and trust makes us who we are. God wants us to run free, enjoying who we are in Christ. He wants the best for us, to bring the best to us, to bring the best out of us, to live the best life. Trust that God wants more and has much more planned for your future. 
God is a God of pressed down, shaken together, free-flowing, abundant life. Living joyfully free doesn't mean we won't have trouble or problems, but in allowing God to take full control, trusting and believing He has your best interest in heart. Living joyfully free doesn't mean all is right with the world, but knowing all is right with God. And her prayer, Heavenly Father, thank you that no matter how crazy this world is and how wild my circumstances may be, I can live joyfully free knowing you love me and my future is safe in your loving hands. The second one is Sometimes Life Stinks. As a little girl, I loved fairy tales and exciting action stories. The good guy or girl has cool gadgets, incredible adventures, and always wins in the end. In those stories, there was always a hardship or quest to overcome. The more the hero fought, the louder the cheers when he reached his goal. I wanted to live in the fairy tale world because I led a secret life. No one knew what happened outside my safe Christian home. The molestation by a babysitter, the attacks, the rape, the other incidents. Each instance was stuffed, and I refused to acknowledge the trauma to others or myself. I moved into adulthood, and the difficulties continued with divorce, being stalked, sexually harassed at work, cervical cancer, the death of friends and loved ones. Over 11 years of chronic illness due to Lyme disease, numerous hospitalizations with a bevy of strange diagnoses, along with seven surgeries. In 2006, while fighting Lyme disease, I had been tethered to a 24-7 pick line delivering intravenous antibiotics directly to my heart for 137 days. A raging fever signaled a blood infection. Packed in ice packs from head to toe, I whimpered in bed as my tears turned into a full-fledged pity party. Hyperventilating and desperate, I speed-dialed a friend. She prayed and talked with me until I could compose myself. Then she told me basically that my life really stunk. I broke out in laughter because I was used to Christian platitudes versus the pat on the arm with an off-the-cuff, I'll pray for you, even some judgmental people who said my faith must be too small or I would be healed. My friend's comment turned my pity party into a joy party. Because it's true, life at times does stink. No judgment, no platitudes, just the plain truth. Ah, so refreshing. And the wonderful thing I've found is that even when horrible things happen, God's love never fails. There is no pain too deep, no life too stinky, for God's gentle, healing, restoring, redeeming touch. Heavenly Father, even when the enemy has covered us in the stink of his mess, your love is stronger and your power mightier. Thank you that nothing is too hard for you to redeem or restore. And now we'll hear a couple of uh, Steve's own writings. interrupt this to bring an important message. When Becky was writing on a wing and a prayer, she would go into the prisons and the jails, spend quite a bit of time there, really, interviewing, doing all she did. And when people would call the house while she was gone and ask for her, I'd say, I'm sorry she's not here. She's in prison. <laughs> and <laughs> Funny, funny. <laughs> and then the funny part was the silence that followed as people tried to process that. <laughs> so, something on her. Um, yeah, I'll read two things I wrote. I kind of put life uh, on a page at a time. This was called Beautiful. It was my only opportunity. I anticipated seeing our daughter round the upstairs corner and present herself in her wedding gown 
to her mother and me. I had, I had known for years that I'd live this moment, this one juncture, one chance, one appointment with the ideal circumstances. This was my instant to shine. When fathers see their daughters in full wedding attire, don't they always tell their daughters that they're beautiful? I used to tell her that, but that was a long time ago. I knew the time had come from, for me to let her know what I'd known to be true since the day she was born. But I didn't. I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. I think I said something like, we'd better hurry or we're going to be late. Whatever I said, it was lame. There we were, looking up the stairs as our gorgeous grown-up girl descended the staircase. It was magical. And I was thinking about unnecessary matters. I missed my moment. I know there are a lot of things a father can be sorry about as he looks back on his years of parenting. And I'm no different. Events and situations come up that require snap decisions, some that we later realize were not the wisest. But I had a long time to prepare myself for this staging. Although I blew it, in my defense, I know that if I had said those two words, that I would not have been capable of controlling my tears. But I should have said them. After all, the moment was as beautiful as she was. And then one a little bit lighter, Farley at the pulpit. It was variety night at church, the time when anyone could play the instrument they were learning in school or show their acting skills in a short sketch or whatever. It was no surprise then when Farley got up to the microphone. Now, you have to get this picture. Up till his turn, everyone had been young and had performed something already practiced. Farley, however, hobbled up the one stair to the platform and ad-libbed a sermon he probably preached in his mind or to others many times in his 80-plus years of life. He was a shrunken man whose head had as much hair as a light bulb and was just about as shiny. With a quavering voice, he spoke of how we should all be holy, how we should not let the world get in the way of godly living. Be sanctified, be undefiled, be righteous, be separate. On and on he went, surpassing the five-minute limit given to all participants. I don't remember all that he said that night. It was too much info for my my mind or heart. The only part I can recite is what he said as he ended, in his ancient voice and with a finger pointed upward for emphasis. He proclaimed, God expects us to be holy. H-O-L-E-Y spelling out five letters of the four-letter word. And with that, he sat down in the front row, not able to see our red faces and shaking shoulders. <laughs> well, we're going to sign off with a quote from James Patterson. There's no such thing as a kid who hates reading. There are kids who love reading and kids who are reading the wrong books. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find more of Becky Lyles under the pen name Rebecca Carey Lyles. Her most recent novels, Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom, have both won awards and made the Amazon bestselling list. 
Steve, well, he just really needs to get his stuff published. If you have comments or suggestions, send them to story at beckylyles.com. Tune in next week for more tall tales and fun fables at Let Me Tell You a Story.